Hello, hello, and welcome back to Organic Gardening for Beginners, the show that helps you plan and grow your garden without the overwhelm. My name is Jessica from the blog Homegrown Food and Flowers, and today we are digging into six ways to keep growing even after the season ends. We've been talking a ton about fall gardening, keeping the season going outside, but today we're going to dig into what can you bring inside to still produce some fresh food, not so much the flowers, but maybe some herbs to keep your cooking spicy all winter long and keep the garden blues from hitting you after several months of no garden work because that is a sad time indeed. So let's jump into our six ideas. Starting off, we have the easiest of them all is sprouting. Sprouting is a very, very simple method to take seeds that you might otherwise grow into a full-size plant and instead grow just for the first few days to a week of that plant's life, and then you eat them. So think of those little cubes that you can find at the grocery store of alfalfa sprouts or salad mixes, things like that. That's what sprouting is. You are soaking a seed to hydrate it, to activate it into sprouting or germinating. And then you let it grow just long enough to get some stem length on it that then gets green and then you eat it. Um, And a lot of people love sprouting because it has so much health and nutrition native to the sprout. So because the plant is, think of a seed, it has everything that the plant needs to start growing for the first few weeks, maybe month of its life before it needs to seek out any outside input such as fertilizer or nutrient dense soil, stuff like that. So if you're taking that seed packet and not literally a packet, but the seed that contains all that food and you are activating it and then eating it before the plant has used all that nutrition, then it is said, and I'm pretty certain there's research to back it up, that sprouts contain like pound for pound or you know volume for volume. They contain some of the highest amounts of nutrition of any food you could eat. So sprouts are an awesome, easy way to keep growing once your garden outside is either done or slowing down in production or just not as robust as you need it to be in order to keep green food coming in your door throughout the wintertime. Some of the most popular choices and some of the ones that I do myself are alfalfa, broccoli, clover, radish are really good if you like something a little more zippy. Salad mixes are also super popular. So like a blend of some of the ones I already mentioned of alfalfa, broccoli, maybe lettuce. And then you can also sprout some larger seeds like uh, peas and lentils are really awesome. I remember back in college, we had a um, burrito joint, for lack of a better word, and they made quesadillas with pea sprouts on them. And it was, they called it the quesadilla super crunch. I still remember that name. And it was so good. It just has this nice flavor, nice texture to it. So you can use sprouts in ways other than what you might already associate with it of just putting it on your salad or putting it in your sandwich. So worth a shot and super easy to set up. All you need is a jar and some sort of covering so that you could use a piece of cheesecloth. There are sprouting lids that you can buy that are different uh, sizes so that contain ones that hold back very, very small seeds like radish seeds or basil seeds, and then some that have a wider grid on them for bigger seeds like the peas or the lentils. Super easy way to get started. Your kids can help you do it. If you forget, 
that's actually okay because you once you soak them, they need to sit for a while in darkness anyhow. So a very dummy-proof way of growing throughout the winter. All right, next up, number two, we have microgreens, which is not too dissimilar from sprouting. You just take it one step farther. So with microgreens, you can grow these hydroponically, meaning without soil, or you can grow them in soil. And so whatever growing medium you use, whether that's soil, cocoa core, peat moss, liquid, um, or like a, a grow mat that you then just use water basically to grow it instead of soil, you um, let them sprout and then grow for, again, about a week, maybe a little bit longer, depending on what you're exactly you're growing. And then you cut them and use them. So they are a one and done crop where you cut the microgreens off at the soil line or just above the grow mat, whatever you're using to grow them. And then you use them as a garnish, as a salad green. You can throw them in your smoothies. You can just snack on them. Lots and lots of different ways to use microgreens. But just think of basically a, we'll say, one and a half week old lettuce plant or sunflower shoot. And that is the microgreen, just a very young, immature green of a plant. And you can you can grow lots of different things as microgreens. So the stuff I mentioned before with sprouts, you can grow those like the alfalfa, the beans, the radish. You can also do larger seeds like sunflowers. Those are my personal favorite. Peas, lentils, cabbage is popular. Herbs like basil and cilantro are also very popular choices for micros. Lettuce, kale, nasturtium, surprisingly, which makes sense because nasturtium as a plant in its entirety is edible. And so just making little microgreens out of the leaves makes sense to me. You could throw it in your salad or on your toast or whatever to give it a little bit of a bite because nasturtium has a little zippy flavor to it, almost like a wasabi type of flavor that just burns for a second and then it goes so with microgreens, like I mentioned, you can grow them in soil or a soil-like medium like cocoa core or peat moss, or you can grow them hydroponically. And I've only ever grown them in soil using cocoa core, um, and they don't need a whole lot of nutrition because like the sprouts, the seeds have all the nutrition they need to get them through the amount of growing that they're going to do before you harvest them. So with microgreens, you sometimes soak the seed. Sometimes you just sow them directly. It depends on on the seed. You sow them densely then over the surface of your growing medium. You cover them so that they're in darkness for the first few days so that the seed is encouraged to sprout and send up a nice long shoot that's looking for light. And then once you uncover them, the plant or the microgreen starts to photosynthesize and turn green and fill with all that chlorophyll and the... Um, the vitamins and nutrients that you're going to then consume. Again, very easy to get started. You can do it pretty simply. You can get kits that are ready to go, or you can just use something like an old deli container or a some sort of shallow, like a milk container that you cut off and grow them that way. So super simple to get started. And you can even try with Maybe you have, you know, say dried beans in your pantry already. You can always try sprouting those and see what happens before you even invest in anything more complex for getting into microgreens. All right, number three, this one is outside again, and that is overwintering plants. 
And this one requires planning with your veggies and your flowers. And it ties a lot more into what we've been talking about the, f- the last few weeks of overwintering your fall garden. So even though it's not the traditional, you know, we're planting new things every month type of garden, it is a way to continue growing, like I said, even after the season ends. So taking your mature plants or close enough to maturity to survive and then providing them with the shelter or protection that they need to make it through the wintertime. So this fits in for some of the brassica crops that you might already have, such as kale, especially cabbage, broccoli, cauliflower. Those ones are all great for overwintering. You can do it with more delicate greens like lettuce and spinach, although they're going to need some sort of protection from the weather. And if you need ideas, jump back a couple episodes. I've got lots of information about using low tunnels and cold frames and how to plan for when to start things so that they can survive more than I'll jump into on this episode. Um, And some plants are actually perennials that you can overwinter with protection. So think of peppers and tomatoes in particular. Tomatoes are perennial and you can get them to survive from year to year. If the if your climate is mild enough or if you provide protection. So a lot of people dig their pepper plants out of the garden pot them up, and then store them in the garage where they can control the climate a little more easily. Or you can just try leaving them out in your garden. And I think I mentioned this on a past episode as well, where I had a tomato plant when we lived in California that I decided not to pull out uh, or cut down because it was still producing so late in the season. Left it up all winter. And then in May, it started fruiting again. And so we got tomatoes a good month earlier than what we would have otherwise because the plant was so established. So uh, if you want to try overwintering, get going on that now because your plants need time to mature. But this is a great way to keep your garden going if you already have mature plants that are still producing and that are natively perennial, even if we usually grow them as an annual. So again, I'm referring to the tomato and the pepper that in the right climate are naturally a perennial. We just typically only use them as annuals putting them in in the spring, taking them out in the fall, starting fresh again the next year. Way number four to keep growing after the season ends is using flower bulbs. And these are fall planted bulbs that you can plant them outside the way you might normally think of with daffodils and tulips that bloom in the spring. But you can also grow those flower bulbs indoors by forcing them, which is a terrible name for such a beautiful thing. Because forcing flower bulbs means that you are taking a bulb that you would normally plant outside and you are replicating those growing conditions indoors so that they either bloom when they naturally would, just inside instead of outside, or you can also try to speed up the process and manipulate the timing so that you get them to bloom at a certain point. So forcing bulbs is really popular for the holidays with paper whites and amaryllis. And you can get bulbs that are from the southern hemisphere. So they've already gone through their chilling periods, which most bulbs need. And by the time we get them up here in the northern hemisphere, you can plant them in a month later or so have indoor bulbs that are blooming or indoor flowers, I should say. You can also do this with standard winter bulbs like a hyacinth that you can force indoors in a water vase, or you can pot them in soil. So they're 
There are some bulbs that are going to come from farther away, others that are closer to home, but all of them you can manipulate the growing conditions to get it to bloom when you want it to. So forcing hyacinths isn't as popular as it used to be, but maybe you can think back to a grandparent or an aunt who had the little, they're, they're a funny shaped vase. It's They're usually clear. They're shaped like a regular flower vase with a little, almost like a saucer on top so that you can set the bulb on top and then fill the base of the vase with water. And the because just like a seed, a bulb has all the food that it needs in order to get the bulb to grow and bloom, you don't have to take care of it or fertilize it the way you normally would with a plant. So forcing bulbs, to kind of summarize it, is a great way to bring winter flowers indoors in a super low maintenance way. They need cold and dark in order to uh, establish their root system. And then they need indirect light to flower. And that's about it. You can do more manipulation with the temperature and exactly how much you cool it and when to get it to bloom and and all that. But to keep it super simple, you can buy pre-chilled bulbs or southern hemisphere bulbs that you then pot and are ready to bloom in a month. And I'm going to be talking about this more in the future because I am going to be forcing a lot of paper whites and amaryllis myself uh, for this winter. And I definitely want to share that with you guys. So stay tuned on that one. But that was number four, forcing bulbs to get flowers indoors over the winter. And then way number five to keep growing is with winter sowing. And this one is one I have not taken advantage of the last few years because we've lived in such warm states. But I will definitely be using now that we're up here in Oregon and we will have a pretty standard winter season. But what winter sowing is, is sowing seeds outside before you typically would so that you have kind of a hands-off way of letting the natural weather start your seeds for you. So what that looks like is taking something like a a plastic gallon jug that's very popular to use, filling it with dirt. Sorry, you cut it in half first so that you can open it kind of like a clamshell. You fill the bottom portion with soil and then you sprinkle your seeds, whatever it is that you want to try. Sprinkle it on top, cover them with soil, and then tape the jug shut again and leave the lid off and set it outside and honestly forget about it for a few months. The logic behind it is that You do have to choose the right seeds to start with, but that you are kind of getting a jump on the season by allowing the seed to wake up when the weather cues it to do so. So instead of waiting for, you know, this many weeks before your last spring frost to start these seeds, you're letting nature do it for you. You put the seeds outside during the coldest month where if it's frozen, it's going to stay frozen or if it's not going to freeze at all, or it already has that, it's not going to happen again. Let me explain that because it probably sounded really confusing. Once you put a seed outside, it can freeze and stay frozen and be fine. What can be damaging is if the seed goes through repeated freeze-thaw, freeze-thaw, freeze-thaw cycle. So once That's why I said in your coldest month, so, you know, maybe that's January for you. Maybe it's February. depends on your your zone. Once it's the coldest and you put the seed outside, it's going to freeze and then it's going to stay frozen until things warm up a little bit and the seed is 
prompted to sprout by the warming temperatures. And then another freeze isn't going to come in and kill it. Now, of course, you will probably still get frosts. I think it's highly unlikely that in a colder climate in January, you would get one freeze and then be totally done. Chances are you're going to get other frosts. But that's why you have it in the milk jug or the water jug, whatever plastic you're using. It acts as a little greenhouse to keep the plant protected from the frosts that you're still going to have until you officially are into spring. But it's just enough protection to prevent it from freezing or dying in those colder temperatures. And the reason people like to use winter sowing is because it's seen as a easier hands-off way to grow seeds. Now, you will have to come back and replant those seeds. Obviously, you need to transplant them. But typically, winter-sown seeds in this plastic jug method are sown really close together with the intention of coming back and separating them out, the ones that have actually sprouted into larger either plug trays or, you know, little four inch pots until they're large enough to actually transplant out to their permanent home. And winter sowing is also a great way to try germinating seeds that are a little bit trickier to start because they need some amount of cold conditioning or stratification, it's called, where sometimes you might put it in the freezer or in the fridge in order to trigger the seed to think, oh, it's been wintertime, I've been stored in the cold, I have this period of cold to jumpstart my germination process. And so instead of managing that yourself, you just throw the seeds outside and let nature manage it for you. I'm going to try it in the spring with some echinacea that I have tried to sow normally in soil blocks, and they haven't done anything. I have not had one single echinacea seed sprout, and so I'm going to try winter sowing with these in particular. It's also very popular with seeds like um, Bells of Ireland that need a little bit of convincing to germinate for you, and uh, and I'll see how that goes. I have some Bells of Ireland growing right now that I've just sown normally in a seed tray, but I'm curious to see what happens with winter sowing. So I will definitely report back on this next spring once I've given it a go. I'm planning to put everything out in January, which is typically our coldest month here in the Pacific Northwest, Zone 8AB, and we will see what happens because I have two acres to plant out and this would be a great way to start some perennial seeds that are either tricky to sow myself or to start myself or are too expensive to buy as, you know, dozens of echinacea plants or black-eyed Susan or whatnot. So we'll see how it goes. Alrighty, and then the last way, number six, the last way to keep growing even after the season ends is to try standard indoor gardening. And this can be as simple or as complicated as you want it. Indoor gardening runs the gamut from something small like an herb kit on your windowsill all the way to a germination chamber up in your attic or in a spare room that is temperature controlled. You have lights on it. Uh, you can even buy kits, something like an arrow. What is it? Arrow garden. It's called that comes as like its own self-contained system. And so depending on what tier of involvement you want, you can grow anything from a little patch of basil or cilantro through the winter all the way through like a full garden. You can even get full spectrum lights that will grow tomatoes for you or peppers or cucumbers. And granted, that is a very involved system where you have to monitor the humidity and the pests and the lights and nothing that I personally have done. 
but it's out there as a possibility if you want to. And I think a good middle ground is something like a windowsill garden, or you can get a little tabletop grow light that looks kind of like a bedside lamp, but it's a small full spectrum, meaning the lights get the all the colors they need in order to grow, um, where you could put something like lettuce, herbs, you know, whatever you really miss in the wintertime uh, and try growing those indoors. You can also do something like regrowing veggie scraps as a little experiment, something like celery or scallion or onion, and have those grow to provide kind of an evergreen source for you throughout the winter. If you think of putting scallions that you have chopped off the green part and you've got the white left behind, if you put those in a little pot of dirt, they'll send up new center stems. And same with celery. They'll never be as robust as the original or the ones you grew outside, but it's an awesome way to have just a little pot of something fresh, something green, growing on your kitchen counter or your windowsill to add into your cooking throughout the wintertime. If you are going the indoor garden route, then something like a metal or like a a chrome rack is going to be very helpful. And then you will need grow lights to put on the top, you know, that we're going to shine down on your seed trays and obviously some way to contain any of the water that might overflow or drain off of your seed trays as you're watering them. So more, like I said before, more involvement there, more upfront cost, but a great way to keep growing throughout the season with plants that wouldn't survive on your windowsill or on your kitchen counter, or even in a smaller self-contained system like an arrow garden. With that, you have my six ideas for ways to keep growing even after the season has ended. Me personally, I am forcing bulbs. I'm trying winter sowing, and I am also overwintering a lot of plants in the garden. Although as I look at my list, I am also definitely growing some microgreens. I have some going right now. My daughter has been eating the pea vines out of the garden to where some of them are not even going to produce for us anymore. And so I'm starting a whole flat of pea microgreens for her so that she can access them whenever she wants and leaves the one in the garden alone. Uh, So we'll see how that works out. And she got to plant them with me. So microgreens, total side note, but they're an awesome one for kids because the reward is so immediate and they're so easy to plant. If you have little guys at home, then give that a shot, especially with a large seed like peas or sunflowers or even lentils. Very easy for them to be involved with. So that is it for today. If you are digging the show, please leave me a rating and review on Apple. It is the most helpful where you can give it a one through five star rating and then leave a review with something that has really resonated with you, something that you have learned, um, something that just makes you inspired to keep coming back to the show week after week. And it is awesome to read. It helps me know that I am providing you with valuable content, valuable information, and it also helps me know where to focus the attention so that I can help you even more. So would be ever so thankful for that. I hope you have an amazing week and happy gardening. See you next week. Bye.